Um, we now conclude today with conclude our series on encounters with the Lord, and um, somehow we got out of sync. So I had two to choose from um, in our series: either the Lord's encounter with Pontius Pilate, or the Lord's encounter with um, Mary Magdalene. And for a couple of reasons, I I chose Mary Magdalene. Um, one is because it seems a whole lot more upbeat, um, because we're not sure really what uh, Pilate did with his encounter with the Lord. And the other, certainly for myself, is um, it's more familiar territory, and that's arguably a bit of a cop-out. So um, I've never really dis- uh, um, studied um, Pontius Pilate or his encounter with the Lord, so maybe that's something we should do in our own time. And I'd love to um, hear what the outcome of your studies are, because I'm sure there's some gems in there about the um, encounter that the Lord had with uh, Pontius Pilate. But let's go to Mary Magdalene, or Mary of Magdala. Um, She's called Mary Magdalene because that's where she came from. And this is a, a coastal town on the Sea of Galilee called Magdala, which means tower. So I've got this image of a little um, kind of village, um, maybe a fishing village, and it's got a tower. I don't know whether that's true. Um, And perhaps quite a popular little place. And here was um, a person who hailed from Magdala, and that's the name she has. Um, We ought to try and um, untangle the Murrays. I think we have four Murrays, and again, correct me, if I'm wrong here, if you know better. Um, we have Mary Magdalene, which we'll talk about in some detail. We have Mary, the mother of the Lord. We have um, another Mary who's described as the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. And the fourth Mary is the sister of Martha and Lazarus. So um, I wanted to um, dismiss dismiss some myths. Gosh, that's difficult to say. Um, If you'd have asked me what kind of person Mary Magdalene was, I would have said she was a saved prostitute. Shame on me, because when you investigate her life, actually, it's not obvious that that's what she was. And a lot of our um, kind of imagination or, or views of Mary Magdalene are more born out of uh, tradition, actually Roman Catholic tradition, uh, rather than what the scriptures say about her. So she may have been, but I don't think so, for reasons that you will um, hear. Um, some people would say that Mary Magdalene was the sinful woman in Luke, Luke 7 that washed the Lord's feet with her tears, dried his feet with her hair, and poured the perfume on them. And that was in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Um, we're not, we don't know the name of that woman, we just know she's a sinful woman. And we know that story very well. I don't think that's Mary Magdalene. Then there's a, another occasion which is curiously similar for reasons of coincidence. So um, there's one, another occasion recorded in Mark 14 and Luke 11, sorry, and John 11, that describes a dinner given in Jesus' honour at the house of Simon the leper. And during that meal, he 
uh, gets anointed with perfume um, by someone who's called Mary. So my contention is Luke 7 is very different than Mark 14 and John 11. Mark 14, John 11, same event. Simon the leper is not the same as Simon the Pharisee. Simon the leper was a healed leper and was holding um, a meal in Jesus' honour in Bethany, which is where he lived and where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And I believe that the Mary in that occasion was Mary, the, the sister of Martha. So um, neither of those occasions we're talking about Mary Magdalene. So just trying to um, put those into some kind of... Um, context. Um, she was uh, a beneficiary of a miracle. So a miracle was performed on her and she was never the same again in a positive way. Um, I believe she was a woman of means, so potentially quite a wealthy uh, person. And she was part of a team of women that took it upon themselves to look after the Lord and his disciples in a material way. So maybe uh, providing for the um, needs in the way of food and, and um, I don't know, washing and stuff like that, I imagine. So very practical things. Um, but also a very key person in, amongst the disciples. You have the impression that, uh, and I, I don't want to um, in any way lower the rank of Mary with respect to the other disciples because she performed an essential function and you have the sense that she had some kind of leadership qualities uh, amongst the women so there's some lessons there too um, so she had her own experience with the Lord which we'll talk about um, she was an eyewitness of his death an eyewitness of his burial and an eyewitness of his resurrection and she is named Mary Magdalene in all those occasions. So we're not left working out which Mary we're talking about. Um, I would say she wasn't just a witness. She was a close-up witness. And um, there's a difference. Um, you can witness something from a distance and um, perhaps not be quite as affected by it. Or you can witness something that's going on right in your face and it changes your life. And in all three aspects of what Mary Magdalene witnessed, it was right in front of her. So the death of the Lord, the burial of the Lord, and his resurrection. So in our review of um, Mary Magdalene's encounter with the Lord, of course the whole purpose of this series is that we draw parallels uh, between the a narrative of, of a true story, a real person, and their encounter with the Lord and our own. And of course, the difference is our encounter with the Lord is by faith and theirs was in the flesh, so to speak. But I think there are some beautiful parallels um, and we've enjoyed those with the other um, examples that we've been considering. I've kind of pulled together what to me feels like a sequence of things that characterise a genuine encounter with the Lord. And I'm going to um, be bold, and, and it's arguably you know, a contentious point. I think for the encounter with the Lord to be genuine, all 11 need to be present. 
Um, a twelfth one is I don't feel that a um, genuine encounter with the Lord by faith is isolated. I don't think it can be just a one-off. I think it has to be more to, to be the kind of encounter that we're thinking about. We'll come back to that. Here's the 11. An encounter with the Lord is about confrontation. It's about transformation. It's about revelation. It's about appreciation. There's a sequence here. It's about dedication. It's also about devastation. Having to face things that are devastating. It's about desperation. That's not knowing how to handle the situation. It's about consolation. It's about adoration. It's about inspiration. And it's about proclamation. So have you got all of those? <laughs> Eleven. Um, I'm not going to talk about them all, but uh, I want to read some key passages that describe Mary Magdalene's encounters with the Lord, plural. And uh, we'll just stop from time to time and consider these, these um, characteristics of a true encounter. I'll listen really quickly again. Confrontation, transformation, revelation, appreciation, dedication, devastation, desperation, consolation, adoration, inspiration, proclamation. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and the first three verses. Soon afterwards we went on through cities and villages proclaiming Sorry, soon afterwards he went on through cities and villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Chapter 27 of Matthew, verse 55. This is at the crucifixion. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in clean linen shroud and laid it in a new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone in the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. On to chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, the, to see the tomb. And then uh, John chapter 20, 
John 21 to 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one who Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to, to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and saw, and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus um, had been, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and all that he had said to her. So that's probably about as much information we have in terms of Mary Magdalene's encounters with the Lord. There are other scriptures, but they're parallel, so I'm not sure they add much to what we've already met. First on our list is confrontation. And we don't read of a confrontational encounter with the Lord. But what we do read is that Mary Magdalene had seven evil spirits and Mary along with some of the other women who were in this group that looked after the practicalities of the Lord's needs and the disciples um, this was a group of women who um, clearly had had earlier encounters with the Lord and in Mary's case the evil spirits, the demons had been uh, driven out from her I can't imagine that that was anything other than confrontational. That she was, whatever the circumstances were, suddenly in the presence of the Lord. And she knew her need 
he knew her need and I imagine however it happened with his command or his touch I'm not sure the evil spirits left her um, I put it to us that to be effective disciples of the Lord we need our encounter to be confrontational and perhaps that's not intuitive because you might be thinking well my encounter with the Lord when I was saved I was a little child and can't really remember much about it and that's why I come to the point about a true encounter with the Lord can't be isolated because I'm not undermining and I'm one of those people myself saved as a as a little child and I'm not undermining the the reality of that kind of experience but I think for it to be genuine it has to have um, um, it has to be confirmed by other encounters with the Lord more mature in more mature times in life so for me it's inconceivable for us to have an encounter with the Lord that changes our lives and then nothing else ever happens part of being a disciple and being a, a Christian and a follower of him is that encounters are um, not isolated but they characterize our relationship and they're confrontational I'm saying that hers was confrontational at the beginning ours might not have been from the beginning but I think um, I certainly crave encounters with the Lord that are um, memorable in the sense that I I had a need and he met the need um, transformation was the second one her life was transformed she's never the same again and if you read around this uh, topic of um, being released from seven demons there's all kinds of conjecture as to whether that was literal whether the seven being the perfect number meant um, <clears throat> the nature of her possession um, but the reality is that was her history and she had an encounter with the Lord and she was transformed and was never the same again it never was a problem to her again and um, as a consequence she became one of the disciples of the Lord not one of the apostles but one of the disciples of the Lord um, <clears throat> the verse comes to mind about in Christ we are a new creation and uh, that is the nature of the transformation that happens when we have an encounter with the Lord and it means that one day we were one thing and, and after this encounter we were something else a new creation and there needs to be evidence of that so the challenge there is if my encounters with the Lord are the way they should be then they should be transforming number three was revelation um, very privileged person uh, Mary Magdalene because she was a contemporary of the Lord and she had the privilege of meeting him in person um, and I can imagine that when the demons were removed from her life uh, it was a revelation as to his identity and she would never have doubted that because she'd always go back and remember the authority with which he did what he did for her and she's got her peers around her it talks about those ladies also being delivered from um, illnesses and the like and um, there was never any question about the identity of this person because of the transforming power that he'd shown 
Revelation led to appreciation. And her appreciation was demonstrated in a real practical way. The, um, the women got together and it says they looked after them from their means. That means, I think, money and perhaps other things. That leads me to believe that um, perhaps Mary Magdalene was, was quite well to do. I don't know, it's speculation. But certainly she had means that she was able to sanctify to the service of the Lord. <clears throat> <clears throat> in a society where there's all kinds of um, angst about um, sexual equality, uh, and I've re never really thought about this before, although it's really obvious, the Lord never called female apostles. They were male. <laughs> and I've never even heard anyone say that. You know, that's kind of a bit odd. And, you know, for me, right at the start... It's demonstrating that there are different roles for men and women. And you have the apostles who um, were given the responsibility once the, you know, the Lord had gone back through the help of the Holy Spirit to um, develop the church, the, the Christian church, the churches of God as they were, to lead and to teach. And that was the role but you have a sense that, uh, and, and it's really low-key, <laughs> you have to look for it um, in the Gospels, but you have a sense that the Lord called these women and they had their own function. And I, I'm not limiting it to making the food and washing the dishes and doing the washing. Absolutely not. They had a ministry to uh, fulfil, um, specifically with respect to looking after the Lord and the apostles and the other women. Uh, other disciples too um, transformation led to revelation understanding his identity uh, identity led to appreciation appreciation was demonstrated by dedication that's the them committing to their calling as his disciples number six perhaps is a little bit strange it's devastation and we go to Calvary and Golgotha and we see near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. That's John 19. Um, Mary Magdalene was a witness of his death. And for someone who, because of her own experience of the power of Jesus Christ, had no doubt about his identity, she had this revelation that she was convinced about. Um, in an instant, it was devastated because here was the one in whom they'd had so much hope and expectation and um, he was being executed before their very eyes. We can't enter in to how devastating that was, must have been for those women, particularly the Lord's mother, we just can't imagine, can we? But I'd just like to draw a parallel, parallel and say um, life often throws up things which are devastating. And um, I don't know anyone who's um, immune from being exposed to those things. And they come in all kinds of different shapes and sizes. And again, 
um, what the Marys saw in relation to the sufferings of the Lord and all of their hopes dashed um, is probably about as severe as it gets. And devastation led to desperation. Um, for a little time in our readings, you have the impression that Mary Magdalene is watching. She's watching the sufferings of the Lord and she sees him die. She's watching the, the gesture from Joseph of Arimathea as he takes his body down. And she's watching as it's laid in the tomb and Joseph puts the stone in the way. And all of the time she's devastated. On the first day of the week, I'm, I'm thinking um, she's desperate. She wants to see the Lord and she's there first in the dark and the stone is rolled away. For me, the answer to devastation is, um, or the often the response of our hearts to devastation is, is desperation. We don't know what to do. And actually that is a perfectly normal and acceptable response. It's actually important for us to feel desperate. Otherwise we just try to uh, get through on our own resources independently and part of being desperate it draws us to um, the only place where we can get help which is from the Lord himself so Mary desperate to see the Lord and of course her expectation was that she'd see his corpse but in her commitment and her love uh, ready to um, do all that she could in uh, dressing um, his, his corpse and of course it's not what she finds at all um, the, the stone is rolled away the tomb is empty and um, I just get the impression of a confused lady you know um, does she immediately think of the resurrection what he predicted has actually happened I don't think so her default is someone's stolen his body uh, I came to pay my last respects to him and she runs back to to Peter and says they've taken his body away and you get two different reactions Peter and John um, they go into the tomb both of them eventually and John who's writing the accounting John says um, it was when I saw the the folded grave clothes that was when I believed so they were convinced about the resurrection at that point Mary wasn't Mary was consumed with just wanting to see his body um, and of course um, the two men leave and she's there on her own and then the, the angels appear and um, then, they, then she turns and sees the Lord this is really the hub of our, of our encounter with Mary's encounter with the Lord it's what happened in the garden and he asked her two questions, two back-to-back -back questions, no gap in between, you get the impression. And number one was, woman, why are you weeping? She's weeping because she's devastated. And number two is, whom are you seeking? She was seeking the Lord because she was desperate and had no other thing on her mind. And the dialogue goes on, you know, can you tell me, thinking thinking he was the gardener, can you tell me where you've laid him if you've taken him away? And he just says, Mary. 
and we come on to number eight, which is consolation. Um, when I use the word consolation, I think about consolation prize, which is almost like a second best, isn't it? Um, nothing of that thought. Um, it's just he consoled a broken-hearted lady in um, just an amazing way. And how did he do it? By making it um, supremely personal. And he just calls her by name. And immediately, all of those doubts, the desperation, the devastation, they all melt away. And um, her broken spirit is consoled. And I have this impression that she just jumps up and she says, Rabboni, that's, re that's recorded. But she also gives him a big hug and he says, you know, don't cling on to me. I just love the emotion. It's a charged emotional narrative where she's saying, Rabboni, if you look up that word, it's very contentious. It's very ambiguous as to what's actually meant. Um, it fundamentally means teacher, but seemingly is reserved for um, people who are teachers, but in a very specialist context. So it's a kind of saying, if you want to give the very best possible compliment to a teacher, then that's how you would address them. And that's a instinctive reaction. And you know, I think there's a whole bundle of things in there. There's, there's um, acknowledgement of his identity. She didn't recognize him. They have this uh, interaction which took seconds. And all of a sudden, now I know that who you are and who you're and that you're alive. It also gives a nod to his authority as the teacher. So she's acknowledging his identity. She's acknowledging um, his authority, and she gives him a hug, and that's um, that's a statement of love and worship, and number nine, adoration. Um, and I, I can imagine, he, he says, don't cling on to me. She doesn't want to let go. And it's because all of um, her worst fears in an instant are cancelled out. And you know, that's the, the conclusion to her devastating experience. And you know, it's, um, it's a lesson for us all when life throws at us devastating experiences which make no sense and we struggle with them, we're desperate, and our desperation leads us to the only place we can go, which is the Lord. And our encounter with the Lord delivers consolation, and you know, that results in adoration, as we appreciate his identity, as we appreciate his authority, as we appreciate his love. Um, the Lord says to her, go, I command, um, don't cling on to me now. Um, I get to go to the Father, but go and tell the other disciples. And um, number 10 is inspiration, and number 11 is declaration. And you have the sense of this um, one of many encounters with the Lord, remember. It's not an isolated thing. It's an inspiring experience. Um, she has no doubt about his resurrection and inspired with the reality of her own experiential um, evidence of the Lord's resurrection, she then goes and proclaims proclamation 
to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. Just a, a really great sequence. And I made the point at the beginning that um, I would contend that an encounter with the Lord, and it's not a one-off, clearly all these things don't happen in one encounter, but a lifetime of, encounter with, of encounters with the Lord. In our experience, it's by faith, through God's word, through prayer, through fellowship with each other, um, they are characterised by these features. Confrontation, transformation, revelation, appreciation, dedication, devastation, desperation, consolation, adoration, inspiration and proclamation. Shall we pray?